0: Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea.
1: And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio.
2: Our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay. Michaela, you missed something that was really exciting. One of our, I think, our most exciting interviews.
0: Ugh, I'm very upset that I missed it. Like, real sad.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was definitely our most exciting interview. We went all the way to Sacramento, which was very warm. But Mm. we
0: we still did it.
1: And it was a a wonderful, wonderful interview. And we're really sorry we missed you. I'm so sad that we missed it.
0: I mean, I was in Europe, so I might want... (laughs)
2: Oh, darn. (laughs) Well, life is rough. I
0: know. But you know what? I did learn about this mystery person who we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, His name. His name is Gavin Newsom.
2: That's right.
0: Oh, my gosh. Gavin Newsom, our governor of California. I did just read that we're birthday twins. Really? October 10th is his birthday. Mine's the 12th.
2: So Is not really a twin, then?
0: I, I mean, he's just a cool, <laughs> balanced Libra like me. Like right you. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> pretty great. Uh, silly. Well, as you both know,
1: Governor Newsom was born and raised in San Francisco, just like Jay and I. Yes, that's right.
0: But I don't want to say anything more because I don't want to give it away. No, no, don't spoil it. Okay, I will. Oh, my gosh. Well, everyone, Jay and Susan had the honor and privilege to speak with California's governor, Gavin Newsom, back on August 3rd, 2022. Gavin Newsom is a true San Francisco entrepreneur. Now his political journey started as being appointed as supervisor by Susan's father, Willie Brown. Then he became mayor of San Francisco, then Lieutenant governor. And now you know him as our governor of California. He has led the city and now the state as a liberal politician. As mayor, he instructed the city clerk to issue same sex marriage licenses before the Supreme court ruling. He also became well-known for his initiative Care Not Cash, which helped to reform some of the city's homeless policy. He was the youngest mayor in over a century at only age 36. Governor Newsom has been the sounding voice in joining other governors from the Western United States to its response to COVID-19. As a fourth-generation San Franciscan, a son, a husband, a father, a brother, a book author, and the governor of California, It is an absolute honor for Beyond the Fog Radio to have interviewed Governor Gavin Newsom. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining
1: us on on Beyond the Fog Radio.
3: Good to be with you. (laughs) I talk often about fog. When I disagree with someone, I tell them that their argument has the form and substance of fog, which I figure is a good insult. It's a great insult because
1: right? you can't see when, you, especially the Thule fog.
3: Yeah, exactly. And only Bay Area people understand what are Yeah, about, right? exactly. Feel, I mean, really understand. That's true. Right? You got to know Deeper, Carl. more emotional, and not just intellectual way.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so it's
2: good to be with you. <laughs> good to be with you as well.
1: So I want to ask you about growing up in San Francisco. You were born and raised there. Yeah. And tell us about a little bit about your parents and also what neighborhood you grew
3: up in. I was, you know, it's interesting. I'm doing a little bit of reflection on this because my father misled me a bit. He said I was a fifth generation Californian. Turns out I was a fourth Uh generation Californian, but my kids are fifth generation, not Californians, but San Franciscans. And his grandfather was a police officer in San Francisco, primarily in the mission district, which was moreover at the time more of an Irish community certainly evolved over the years and continues to evolve even to this day, as you know well. But my grandfather grew up in the Marina District, right there right. in the shadows of the Palace of Fine Arts, yeah. where I'll never forget as a young kid, Jefferson Street. Right. And I used to go over with my Fisher Magician. This is something that really <laughs> ages me. Some of you may recall, there was something called the Fisher Magician you could buy on TV, I was so nice. excited to get it, which was an all-in-one fishing kit. As a kid, nothing cooler than that. And I used to go fishing, in the pond at the Palace Fine Arts. Can't say there was a lot of action. Did you get anything? <laughs> that said, it did get stuck, and I don't know what it got stuck on. And I literally fell in, and I thought I'd drowned until I stood up and I realized it was about <laughs> two inches deep. All these years I thought it was a oh, deep pool, hundreds yeah. of feet deep. But I grew up with great memories. My grandfather's playing football on the street back when there weren't as many cars and congestion as there is today, and you could play touch football down Jefferson Street in the shadows of Palace Fine Arts. And we lived on Toledo Way, just around the corner in the Marina District, and then went to 15 Rico Way, and then I was down on Fillmore Street, just around the corner, all in the Marina. So we really congregated in the Marina, the Mission District, through generations. And so not a lot of mobility in the family, not a lot of imagination. There was just love for San Francisco. Yeah, wonderful.
2: And that was a different time. I mean, the neighborhood in Marina now is completely different.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's true, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, and and I, you know, I guess I, I'm a little bit a part of that. I mean, I have a number of businesses down in the Marina District, so I see that evolution. Some would call it devolution. I remember referring... Uh, growing up, saying it's just a fifth-year college town because it just felt yeah. like all these young folks there, sort of moving in and moving out. Some of the the more the, the more stable generational folks, like my grandfather. So that constant evolution. A lot of single people down there and Chestnut Street and all the activity. But there were always, you know, everything that's new. There was always Lucas Delicatessen. Oh yeah. And when in doubt, you had Lucas. Yeah, that's and true. I grew up in Lucas. I mean, my great memory, they still the same family owns it. Yeah. It's the one go-to every time I go back in the city. I have to get my Lucas turkey sandwich. Uh, not inexpensive anymore. Maybe, I don't even think it's a novel inflation. <laughs> I think it's just, was always more expensive. And then, of course, the go-to every Thanksgiving, Christmas, the raviolis. Fresh, not the frozen raviolis at Lucas Delicatessen down on Chestnut Street where my grandfather used to take me to get those same damn raviolis. That's fantastic. So that's neighborhoods, that's San Francisco, and that's not experienced everywhere as so many businesses come and go, but small business being the, the backbone, everything else. The great memory I know I have, one of the greats, is Jack's. Jack's was where I used to get comic books. And Jack's was just down the road from Lucas on Chestnut Street. And my grandfather smoked 22 packs of cigarettes a day. His fingernails were yellow because of all the cigarettes he, he smoked. And they sort of burned down to his nails. And
0: yeah. And he used to always go to Jack's. And I thought, this is great.
3: And there's this guy named Jack who ran this magazine stand just down the block. Of course, never community, connected a Dot, you know, you got to sell a lot of magazines and newspapers. He was a bookie <laughs> in the back, uh, and running horse bets and all these other legal, I mean, it's fantastic. And that was like, you know, I don't want to turn myself in, but statute of limitations and my grandfather's <laughs> um, And so, you know, just those are the generational memories. And right. then my dad, you know, connected the Dot to more Lucas with my grandfather, then, and then bringing my kids in, you know, Jax is gone. Came a clothing store of all strange things, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, Lucas is still there. And I, I forgive me for meandering, except to say, it's the magical moments that make you know. At the end of the day, you stack your life, and it's how many magical moments you have, and it's those little memories that are formed, and that's what neighborhoods are about. That's what small business is about. That's what communities about. That's what San Francisco is all about.
1: Exactly, that's exactly right. So, how did you grow up? What did your parents do? And
3: well, a single mom. I mean, she had me. She was a teenager. Came from no wealth.
2: She had you as a teen, you said? Yeah, she
3: was pregnant at 19. And then I think I just became, she might've just turned 20, but she was, yeah, she was a teenage mom, or at least pregnant. And then they were separated uh, a couple of years later and divorced. And so my mom raised me in San Francisco. My dad moved up to Lake Tahoe, Truckee area of all interesting places, Squaw mm-hmm. Valley, where he lived. And then eventually was appointed to the superior court where he served in Auburn, California, up here in Placer County, one of the most conservative counties in the country not just the state. So here I am, the juxtaposition, living in a very blue progressive city, San Francisco, with my mom in a one bedroom apartment with my sister. My mom's working two, three jobs, and by the way, no BS, two or three jobs, not all full-time, but part-time jobs, waitress, part-time bookkeeper, and was just hustling. And we were bouncing around from rentals, Octavia Street, and and we landed at 15 Rico Way. She ultimately passed away 20 years ago of breast cancer. She raised me, and she raised me throughout the city and just hustled, made things work. My dad up in Placer County, and then eventually back to San Francisco when he was on the Court of Appeals. I'd see my father weekends once a month, maybe every couple months. I could romanticize that. Like I saw more than I did. Elder I got, I saw more. And then, of course, every summer for something exotic and exciting that my mother, you know, was always jealous because I was always so happy to see him. And <laughs> right, right, right. That sweeps them away. Yeah, sweeps so them away. So she had a hard time. I mean, she's a kid raising kids. Wow. No wealth, no family support whatsoever. My dad did fine, but he did fine reputationally perception wise no wealth in his family necessarily though it was a good middle class family maybe even upper middle class sort of the old irish family but you know six seven brothers sisters and large family and everybody's always you know there's always challenges in the family so he's always attending to that and then kind of you know mom and her two kids making a go at it my problem was i couldn't read or write so she's raising a kid that couldn't read or write smart daughter my sister and so i bounced around schools And I remember just taking the 30 Stockton, you know, you were on your own. She couldn't, she wouldn't drive me anywhere, no car. She's going to work. So I'm raising myself. I'm waiting there, 30 Stockton, go through down Chinatown, Grant, and uh, go to school. And then I drop out of that school and drop out of another school because I'm not getting my reading and writing attended to. Eventually put us in a position where she felt we couldn't get the education. I couldn't get the support and we moved to Marin County. And uh, that's where she found it. So I ended up in Corte Madera.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah. What was it that really inspired you to go into public service and then eventually- Well,
3: your damn father <laughs> screwed up my life. Actual truth. I mean, Ed, I could BS- But it it. it's just a fact, but, well, but I'll back up. What really inspired me is my father modeling that in me. My mother's sort of a work ethic, don't complain, don't explain, just get things done. Grit, grit, hard work, just grind. That was profoundly impactful in my life, and it's saved me in so many ways Why we're having this conversation. You wouldn't be having it with me otherwise. My father, though, there was a bit of a romantic of the 60s mindset, service, Sarge Shriver, the Kennedys. More Shriver, I think, even than Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, less than JFK. There was sort of a vernacular of the 60s, solving for ignorance and poverty and disease, standing up for ideals, striking out against injustice. He was the justice of the court, but he also was a fierce advocate for causes and people, and particularly wildlife and the environment, and so he was always. If my trips were him were always adventures on rivers, or always learning about exotic species that was about to go extinct, or trees of the song is I mean, all around the world, he felt connected to causes, and that connected me to public service. That was a mindset. So the combination of both led me down a circuitous path to politics that quite literally went through San Francisco politics by two things happening. One, get out of college, sort of listless, don't know where I'm going, working for ProLab Orthotics, delivering orthotics. I was living with my mom. She had a one-bedroom apartment. She got kicked out of her bedroom to accommodate her college kid. And she's like, what the hell's going on? You know, at 15, this is at 15 week away. And I'm living there. I'm like, and she's like, I don't know this is why you went to college, to move back with me. And I sure as heck didn't think that either. I'm doing deliveries, trying to figure out what to do. And then I start to dabble getting a real estate license, Anthony's real estate down there out in the avenues. I remember driving by it and I'm like, hey, I could take a real estate course and I could show properties. And I'm trying to figure out what they would right. do it like. Exactly. Anyway, all this led me to sort of stumble into an idea for a small business. I ended up opening a business, 13 investors, $7,500 or less each. I bought $7,500 myself, pen to paper. No one subsidized it. You know, it just was an idea, but I, for a year and a half work to get everybody to invest in it and open a little wine store down in the marina yeah. district, Chestnut or on uh, Greenwich and Film, Plum Jack Wine, still there today. And I'm down there and someone by the name of Willie Brown is termed out from the state. Guess he needed a job. I don't know what your dad was doing. <laughs> So he decides, oh, what else am I gonna do in my life? He says, I'll run for mayor. So he runs for mayor. And somehow I got pulled in through a group of mutual friends, Summer Tompkins and Francesca Vitor, some old San Francisco families that I had known, just for whatever reasons. And they asked if I would open the wine store that I just opened for a little fundraiser, low dollar next generation fundraiser for Willie Brown's campaign for mayor. And of course I knew Willie Brown. I had met him and he's a legend, probably scared to even say hello to him and don't really know him. Six months go by and I get a call from Eleanor John, Willie Brown's chief of staff. He wants to point you to the film commission. And I had, like, unbelievable film commission. Wow. It was amazing. I made it. So I go <laughs> down to City Hall, that makeshift City Hall, because they were redoing City Hall. And your father had about 50 people in one room. It was the temporary board of supervisors chamber. And then- Right. <laughs> Willie goes through everybody. Goes, and, you know, my old friend Chuck, who I worked with 28 years, is now you know be on the you know PUC. And then, and then Bobby, you know, this guy is the best in the business. And that's why he's the next, you know, president. Right. Of- Okay, I in. And, you know, this guy, Gavin, you know, I met, you know, he probably wouldn't mention the fundraiser, but, you know, may know his dad or something. So he does all that. He says, the next chair of the Parking and Traffic Commission. <laughs> oh, and I literally am looking around. What? I, I literally couldn't say it. <laughs> I in the middle of a room. Chair parking. I don't even know what chair meant. Like, what is Chair. Like chair, what, is that, what does it mean? <laughs> I want to get the videotape. In fact, I'm going to get the Yeah, videotape. yeah, well, I'll help <laughs> you find 4 it. Before News before young, I mean, Cron was a big deal back, way back in the day, especially. And they literally asked me what my vision was for parking traffic as the now president of the park. I said, president, I think I'm the chair. And this was the interview Like me <laughs> saying, like <got> a kid, <laughs> that's that's what's that's your vision? there's like silence and like stuttering looking down i said well i pay my parking tickets like, <laughs> that's awesome like, so apparently he didn't tell anyone eleanor apparently just told him all the openings right and he casually just decided on the fly yeah he's like that's what your dad does so all of a sudden i'm now in politics public service and then we have all these issues And there was like the upper deck of the central freeway and it was like serious and they're coming you have to go through the commission and all of a sudden now it's like not funny that they have me on there it's like you actually need to do this for us and but then i apply myself inspiration desperation right grit then i really get into it and that led to a series of events that led to a vacancy on the board of supervisors and your father goes you know what guy just seems to be applying himself you know I didn't believe it either. I'm sure he was telling people. I was like Eleanor. I'm actually shocked too. <laughs> and he appoints me on the board of supervisors. And I mean, then I'm running for election and running citywide, learning about Harvey Milk Club versus the Alice B. Toklas Club, and I don't know the difference. And I understand San right. Francisco, but not that granularity of politics. Yeah, right. And then I'm one of Willie's appointees, and that comes with. All kinds of extraordinary yes. things, but also automatically, why do you have a problem against me? I just got here. So I had to figure it out. So that, that's that was my circuitous route. Sorry for the long-windiness in the, oh, and the formal position of public service in San Francisco.
1: That's amazing. And now now look.
3: Crazy, right? Never would have thought. No business plan, no master plan, no waking up saying, here's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. I never was gonna be mayor, I was never gonna be a supervisor, I was never gonna be parking and traffic commissioner. I I was gonna become a lawyer. And I was trying to do pre-law, but I wasn't really good at it. And my academics were tough because I was still struggling with reading and writing. And then I'm a delivery boy living with my mom. And then a couple of years later, I have a small business that, by the way, grew to 21 small businesses, 1,000 employees. I'm really proud of that. And that's probably the part of my life no one really knows about because they just see the other side. But that's the point of pride and differentiation. And it was the differentiator for me because I was always the small business person. I was the entrepreneur. I became the gay marriage mayor, right? Everyone, oh he's a gay, he's a progressive liberal. But I'm also this other side that people just don't know. That I've always been this pro business. You can't be pro-job and anti-business, right? Entrepreneur that likes to iterate and try new things and you know, has a passion for free enterprise and small business. And and that I think led me to the board of supervisors, led me to get elected to the board of my own right, elected me mayor and grounded me. And then I found my way in these larger things. issues and found a path here in the governor's office.
1: Do you think that because you grew up in San Francisco, that inspired you to do some of the phenomenal things that you've done? I mean...
3: Oh, come on. Yeah.
1: No, the no it, gay you know, marriage was Was That was an amazing thing. Oh, it's thing. crazy. And
3: I'll tell you, the only reason I did that, back to Willie Brown. I remember, I'll never, never forget. True story. I, I said this many times. Not, I think people probably just thinking you're indulging your dad at the time, but... I grew up in San Francisco and you know, you had, it wasn't the castor. I remember going through Pol- down Polk Street all the time and the LGBT community, and there was no LGBT, it was just the gay community. And my grandfather's generation, they had a hard time with that. It was different, different right? The city's changing yeah. and people are coming out now and they're expressing themselves. And we had a lot of mutual family friends that died of HIV and AIDS. And one of my closest friends contracted HIV and still alive today, which is amazing. When I became supervisor, two things happened that thrust a consciousness at a deeper level. And one. one was when your father called and he called say you are coming down and he asked, God bless, I'm disappointed. <laughs> hey, yeah, you're coming down Saturday and we're doing this domestic partners. And I'm like, what's domestic partners? You <laughs> you you are going to be conducting the ceremonies with a number of other supervisors. And I remember going out on a Saturday to city hall And I knew a little bit about domestic partners because Susan Leal and some others were leading an effort with your father. And there was concern about United Airlines leaving and Catholic charities and losing. I mean, there was a lot of friction in that. But I was new, and so I wasn't involved in any of that. But your father wanted me to get involved and expected me as his appointee to value. You represent the values of the city. You are going to do domestic partnerships. And it was emotional. It was intense. And it hit me, like not intellectually. I remember that day. I remember Mark? Everybody there was powerful. And then we got involved in a very difficult issue. Like, I don't know if it was a year later or something. I was the deciding vote. Eleven-member board of supervisors, six-five, and it was—I was getting hit hard. I, I was a West Side kid, even though I was more of a Marina kid, but I was sort of a West Side. People in San Francisco understand West versus yeah. East Side. The church, Jesuit, grew up in the Catholic church, went to Catholic schools early, went to Jesuit University. I mean, we were, that was Irish Catholic family, like the whole West side. Yeah. And there was this gender assignment bill that Mark Leno introduced to the board of supervisors for your father's consideration. And by the way, he was silent on it for a while. It was tough. And Mark drove it to say, we're going to include as our suite of benefits for all city employees, the ability to get gender reassignment surgery. And we were one of the first cities to do it in the world. And it was intense. And the church was furious and my father's family, family, and my dad was, a, he was, he was a progressive guy. So he, but he's like, whoa, you know, that, I mean, that was hard for folks. Yeah, this is right? early very back very in the day. Is this is not the conversation we're having yeah. today. And Mark was just working me. It's like, yeah. you got, and I was emotional, right? Because I'd like, get emotional about this. You know, I really, for me, none of this is intellectual. All of it's emotional. All of it's people. It's just, and. And Mark is very persuasive and he's very thoughtful and judicious and just worked it and worked it and worked me. And eventually I, I supported it. And that was a profound moment of choosing for me of which side I'm going to be on on these issues. And a 6'5", a lot of folks, or the West Side folks, turned their back on me on that. And that shocked me. Yeah, there was a lot of hyperbole. You know, people are going to fly from all over the world, and everyone's going to descend on it. Was a lot of nonsense. Even now, it's even more ridiculous when I look back at it. That gave me a deeper consciousness that led to that first couple weeks when I became mayor yes. and making that decision on same-sex marriage. But all of that has to do with your question. But growing up, born and raised in San Francisco, the nuances of all of these things, the contours of all of these discussions and debate. And you absorb it even if you don't realize you're absorbing it. The lessons I learned and then your father gave me the privilege to truly engage more directly in a leadership position to drive some of that agenda.
2: It's amazing. So what, about your book, your children's book is fantastic.
3: Oh, yeah. Well I mean that's I mean that connects to uh, so much of what we just talked about. Oh, I like, mean I you know when you can't read or write <laughs> I mean not an easy yeah. task life. Life is difficult because it's not about not reading or it write, it's about having any confidence or self-esteem. Yeah. It's about feeling dumb. Like the word dumb, I felt dumb.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
3: You're in the back yeah. of the room, your head's down, you're ashamed. You start overcompensating in ways that aren't necessarily constructive. You you sort of act out. And then you find strengths. You're overcompensating in ways that are actually very constructive, where you have to develop a deeper memory muscle. You have to fake it. And that means you have to apply certain disciplines. And so, you know, all that experience led me to seeing things a little differently, literally and figuratively, quite literally and figuratively seeing things differently. And starting to realize that was a differentiator that could work to my advantage, that I'm not like everybody else, and maybe that's okay. And it took years. I mean, it took probably till my 30s to fully appreciate that. But I started to develop a little more muscle. On the creativity side, right out of college, I was noticing the people that I actually were interested in, like Richard Branson at Virgin, Anita Roddick, who started the body shop. There was, they were design-driven entrepreneurs that took risks. They're not business people, they're entrepreneurs at bottom up. They're risk takers, right. disruptors, right. and they're smash mouth in your face. They make mistakes. They talked about mistakes. I'm like, wow, I love that. Then it started to create a cadence. And then I came up with this crazy idea for a little wine store. And that was a way of just connecting with my divorced dad. He loved wine. His friends loved wine. And I started just absorbing it. I was like, Dad, hey, look at me. I know I'm a delivery guy living in mom's, but I'm thinking of doing a wine store. And he's like, you know, wow, son now is interesting to me. I don't want to overstate it, but I'm not gonna understate it. Right. And it was a way of connecting with him. And again, back to the grit, you just you apply, and that's my mom, right? You just apply. So I just studied, I worked harder and I studied best practices and just absorbed and figured out a business plan by asking friends, what's a business plan? Can I have yours? And then I just hustled and I worked two years to get people to give up 7,500 bucks each. You know, and, and I found some interesting partners, right? I mean, you know, some well-known San yeah. Franciscans. You know Pelosi, family, I mean a lot of the old political yeah. families, right? I mean at John Burton, and all yeah, that. Yeah. I think he did like five thousand or something. He's like, <laughs> uh, I don't want to lose my money. Jesus Christ, why the hell is this? Yeah, and, uh, but they took a risk, and you know, I like, and then it's like back to two driving forces of life. I referenced it before. It's inspiration, desperation, and then it's just more muscles being developed, more sort of disciplines, more energy and passion, action. And so, you know, I, I joke about the reason I'm here as your dad in San Francisco, those two things are true, but it's also dyslexia. If I didn't have dyslexia, I wouldn't have ever opened a business. If I opened a business, I wouldn't have been in politics. Right. If I didn't have dyslexia, I wouldn't have done marriage equality because I wouldn't even have been willing to take that risk because I just got elected and things were pretty good. I started to realize that I'm like, this is my differentiator. It's like a superpower. I don't have to be smarter than anybody else. I just have to, you know, have to be more myself and more authentic and more, you know, discipline and the things that differentiate. And I started meeting more kids, and I talked a little bit about it when I was mayor. I went down to a school for dyslexic kids right after I was elected mayor, and it was like a big front, back when people were really reading newspapers, front page of the Chronicle, like the whole thing. Wow. And I was like, my coming out. And the response was like emotional, like letters I got, and kids at, at Armstrong School down in the South Bay. What's different than that slick guy? Like politician with a slick hair. Yeah. <laughs> like, you should really open up I'm like that oh, and tell your story. And I'm like, okay. And then I came up with a crazy idea called Ben and Emma's Big Hit. That's great. And and I realized there weren't books out there for little kids, picture books yeah. uh, for dyslexic kids. Yeah. My mom never had that. Yeah. And I wrote it for her because she needed the tools. She didn't have the tools. She didn't know how to raise me. She's figuring it all out. And how did she raise a kid that can't read? Like, she's struggling. And I didn't appreciate that till I had my kids. And so it was having my kids, meeting these kids, wanting something that didn't exist for my mom. And I wanted it for myself because of my kids are struggling. And I wanted them to know it's okay too. And so I created these composite characters. You know, one kid's good at baseball but can't read. And then that was me, right? Growing up, sports, you know, gave me some confidence, self-esteem, helped me work things through. It was more than just you know, someone came to me and said, write a book. And it's life inspired that.
2: Well, the most powerful image was the last page.
3: Uh, I appreciate that. I, you know, for me, it's that. I appreciate this, the back on that last image. But there was a letter I wrote that I really wrote to my mom in the back. And it's the best part of the book for me. I, I had to do an audio version. We had a, I'm not kidding, about 30 times. I couldn't. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was crying every time. I yeah. could not Fantastic. give it because I, I had to read the letter to dear readers. Yeah. And it was how I discovered my own dyslexia. And how my mom kept it from me, and she didn't want me to be stigmatized with it. And how it, you know it can be your superpower. You know. So it's it's hard, man. It's hard enough living. Life's hard. Right. I will submit. I think it's harder than ever. And everybody's struggling. And and more and more people are talking about that, which is beautiful. That they're struggling. And successful people are. And you know, hell, I struggled. I mean. Been hard, two years of COVID, isolation, kids, your own stupid mistakes. You know, I go to dinner. You know, Jesus, it's hard. And, and people just love to hate. Yeah. You know, no one understood about your dad. I mean, yeah. it was, they're these sort of iconic people that they try to tear down 24-7. But underneath that's a damn father, your father human being. And so try to be a little more human and trying to express a little more humanity. That's what the book's about, it's just about being human which binds us together. And that's not a Democrat or Republican damn book. That's every, that's yeah. you, me, it's for the grace of God, go any of us.
2: It's wonderful.
1: The governor is so smart, so articulate, but also so humble and so honest. I love that we had the opportunity to interview him. And to hear him talk about being dyslexic, I myself am dyslexic. And to this day, I still struggle with reading and writing. And for every episode, Michaela corrects my intro and outros and Arliss rewrites my descriptions. So the way that he talked about his condition and how it affected his self-esteem was so emotional for me. Really, the entire interview was very personal And I feel like we accomplished something that most people don't have an opportunity to do. We focused on Gavin Newsom, the person, and not Governor Newsom, the politician.
2: Susan is absolutely right. You know, when I walked into that interview, I was thinking, oh man, this guy's going to be polished. (laughs) He he, he has these questions down pat. We're going to get the same interview everyone has had with him. And he blew my mind. Like Susan said, I got to know... A human being, a native San Franciscan, a father, and someone who had a lot of people around him, but nobody knew, at least not today, would know that this is where he came from, really. Yeah. And his dyslexia was something he turned into a superpower, was profound. You know, I've read his children's book, right? Ben and Emma's big hit. And at the end there was this photo and it says, "Can you make a difference in the world if you see the world differently?" Oh. And I was like, "Yes." Yes. Fantastic. We, uh,
0: yeah, we yeah. were just talking about it, Susan, because you know, this was emotional for you and having a comrade in dyslexia and he had to grow all of his other skills to combat the skill that was really hard for him he had to go to a different school right. he had to learn how to be in his entrepreneurial style he he learned so many different w- other ways that created his success and i think that was so profound and people just really when you talk about gavin People just see him for you know, like you said, the politician, the charming, handsome man with a full head of hair. Which
2: she does have.
0: Which he does, (laughs) and he is blessed. But also, (laughs) he's just a real dude, and he has—he was his mom was a single mother, and he.
2: Work three worked three jobs. Three
0: jobs, right? And he opened a wine shop and had never opened a wine shop. Didn't he just worked from the ground. He's a he's a typical San Franciscan guy, you know. He he moved and grooved in the city and leaned on his community and then ran into your dad. And I love that this podcast is pulling all of these people together as well. I love that he talked about John Burton and Moscone and, you know, it's really, really, really amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to let everybody listen to governor Gavin's story. Yes.
2: Yes. Totally much so. Well, this is actually a great place to end our series. I think so. You know, and at the end of each series, we always end our series with an episode on, That's right. (laughs)
1: Cuisine. I know we get to eat after (laughs) after each series. Yum yum.
2: That's right. And this time we had the opportunity to speak with Dan Gerardo of Boudin Bakery, which is responsible for the original sourdough bread here in San Francisco.
1: Delicious. We're so lucky to listen to next week's episode. Or to go back to listen to any of our previous episodes, go to your favorite podcast app and remember to hit subscribe so that we can keep bringing you new episodes every single Wednesday.
0: Yeah, and after you subscribe, please go over to our social media. We're at Beyond the Fog Radio on Instagram and also on Facebook.
2: Once again, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Beyond the Fog Radio. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, please take care now. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Beyond the Fog Radio is produced by the three of us, along with Arliss Hayes, Tim Johnson, Tim O'Shea, and Connor Chang.
1: Beyond the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2022.